But uh, anyway, it's good to be back. Uh, I, I, I hate missing church like I did last Sunday. Uh, I, I feel like I need to be here. I need to be preaching. I, I just I, I feel drawn to it. But um, I haven't seen my father in months. Um, he's supposed to have hip surgery, so he can't get in the car. He can't travel here, and uh, we just I wanted to see him before his surgery. And uh, it was it was a good time. We got to go to Luray Caverns, and and um, my my girls got to spend time with their granddad, and, and he he loved it too. So um, it, it it was nice being able to do that. But um. um Kate starts her chemo back next Friday, not this coming Friday, but the following Friday. This, this coming Friday, she gets the second dose of her vaccine, and then she starts chemo back uh, the following Friday. Uh, so keep her in prayer. But as I was driving here, I didn't, I didn't share this with y'all, uh, but as I was driving here Wednesday night, um, I was thinking about how people ask how she's doing. People ask, all, ask me all the time, people I, I see at a grocery store that I don't even know, How, how's your wife doing? Um, and it's, it's so nice to hear that people are thinking about her, and, and, and I know that she's on people's minds, and, and they're praying for her. And, uh, but they always seem shocked when I tell them that she's doing great. She, she really is doing very well. Her spirits are high. She's not moping around. She's not depressed. She, she's just taking it in stride. And I tell them that that's... Um, that I attribute her attitude to the fact that she's handed it over to God. She, she understands that there's nothing she can do. It's out of her hands. If God wants her, God will take her. If God wants her here, he'll leave her here. She's just giving it over to him and trusting him in whatever he decides to do. Uh, and, and that is a, a relief that you can have in your life. Um, you know, she, she understands that to die is gain. She doesn't want to. She wants to be here for her daughters. She wants to see them grow, but she knows that to die is gain. Um, and as I was thinking about that on my way down here Wednesday evening, um, it was weird. Like this moisture started building up in my eyes. I don't know what it was, but then I started feeling like tears on my cheeks. And I'm thinking, what is going on? Because I'm, I'm not a crier. Not that there's anything wrong with crying. I just, I just never have been. It's been and I was trying to think of the last time I cried. It had been about seven or eight years because before Kate and I were married. And just the thought of people, Kate's only 34. And I, I thought, you know, just the thought of people dying young, people that dying that, that think they have all the time in the world, right, to give their heart and life to Christ. They, they don't need to do it right now. I, I want to go, I want to do this, I want to do that, and I want to do the other thing. Don't realize how quickly things change. You're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised. Like, I think we all have that age in our head. Oh, when I hit 96, that, that, that's about the age I want to live to. Well, that's, not, that's, your, that's your age. That, that, that's not what God has planned out for you. You know, I, I'm not promised another 54 years. I had to do the math. 54 more years until I hit 96, right? I, I'm not promised that. Kate, I'm sure, didn't think that she would have to stare death in the face at 34 years old. We don't think that way. We, we, we think that we have all of this extra time. But um, that was the point, though. I think God was showing me that people are going through this life thinking they have that time that they don't. 
You have people that die of unnatural causes that are going to hell because they never heard the word of God. They never gave their heart and life to Christ. You, know, you have teenagers, 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds that are dying, going to hell just because they thought they had more time. And it, 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 it's sad, and, and I, I think that's what hit me, was that I never really thought about it in those terms until thinking about Kate and, and, and the, um, how much peace she has with whatever happens. Um, so, but uh, I told myself I was going to keep this short and sweet today. I say that every week to myself when I sit down to start studying and, and writing my notes because I heard that audiences start tuning out after 20 minutes. The, the average crowd stopped, they just stopped listening to you after 20 minutes, but I know you all are above average, so I got 25 minutes or so. But I start, I sit down, I'm like, how am I going to get 20 minutes out of this? And then like, I'm at 40 minutes, I'm like, oh, how am I going to cut this down? Uh, so, if you will, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 13, lucky 13, Luke chapter 13, we're going to start in verse 22, Luke 13, 22, um, now I'm probably going to piggyback a little bit off of what we've been discussing on uh, Wednesday nights, but Luke 13 starting in verse 22, and when you found it, if you're physically able, I'd ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. 22 through verse 30. Uh, the word of God says, And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us, and he will answer and say to you, I do not know you, where you are from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. They will come from the east and, the, and from the west, from the north and the south, and sit down to the kingdom of God. And indeed... There are uh, last who will be first, and there are first who will be last. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for allowing us to get together and come together into your house, where we, we can worship you, where we can praise you, where we can pray to you, where, where we can hear a message from you, Lord. We just ask that you would speak to us today. Speak to us through your word. Speak to our hearts as your servants are listening. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, verse 22, it tells us that, that Jesus is journeying towards Jerusalem. Jesus is on a mission. Um, in fact, he wasn't going to get there for another six chapters. He doesn't show up in Jerusalem until chapter 19. Um, but 
he started this journey. In fact, this isn't even the start of his journey. The start of his journey uh, happened in chapter 9 of Luke. Uh, chapter 9, verse uh, 51, it says, uh, well, basically what happened was Jesus was going from town to town, and, and he was rejected uh, in this uh, village of Samaritans. They, they rejected him. And just like Jesus told his disciples, you know, whenever you go into a town and the people don't want you there, dust off your shoes and keep it moving. Well, that's what Jesus was doing. He got uh, rejected by these Samaritans. And verse uh, 51 of chapter 9 says, Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. So back in chapter 9, he had turned to go to Jerusalem. Metaphorically, he set his face on Jerusalem, and that's where he was heading. And along the way, from chapters 9 through 19, the 10 or 11 chapters, he is going to town to town, and he is preaching. He's, he's sharing the word of God. He's healing, right? He, he's doing all these things to show everybody who he is, and he's taking them along with him to the cross. And he knew that the cross was ahead of him. He knew it was going to be difficult. He knew that it wasn't you know, fields of flowers and, and, and puppy dogs. He knew what was at the end of his journey to Jerusalem. It was death. It was death on a cross. But he was on a mission that was given to him by the Father. And he was steadfast in his mission. Meaning he was, uh, we'll talk about this more later, but he was narrow-minded. He, he, he had the blinders on. He was going to Jerusalem. He wasn't going to make any detours. He was steadfast in his responsibility. He was steadfast in his mission that the Father had given him. Um, I mean, this isn't something Jesus wanted to do for himself. He was doing it for the Father. You'll, you'll remember um, just before he's captured in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he, he prays to the Father. He says, Lord, if there's any other way, allow this cup to pass from me. Right? He didn't want to, Why would he want to go to the cross if it wasn't the Father's will for him? That's why he went. Because it was what the Father's will was. Um, the Father calls every Christian to do something as well. He calls us to do a lot of things, really. I mean, he, he calls us to be in fellowship. He calls us to, to uh, study his word. He calls us to, to store his word in our hearts. He, saw, he, he, he asks us to um, uh, look out for the poor and for widows. And he tells us to do all these things. We're to follow that and we're to treat that as our mission. But the overarching, I guess the umbrella, you would say, that, that goes over all of these things that God wants us to do is... To be Christ-like, right? Like being more Christ-like uh, meets all of those things that, Jesus, that God wants from us, right? Uh, just to try to be like Christ. And I made this comparison Wednesday night um, about a tennis player. And I said, uh, no matter how hard you work, no matter how much time you put into becoming the best tennis player you could possibly be, no matter how much blood, sweat, and tears you put into it, um, you're never going to be as good as a wall, right? And Jesus is our wall. 
No matter how hard we try, no matter uh, you know, how carefully we watch every step we take, no matter how much we read our Bibles or how much time we spend in prayer, no matter how many Sundays we, we make it to church in a row, we're never going to be Jesus because he was perfect. If you start today and you live the rest of your days perfectly, even if that was possible, you still messed up in the past. There is nobody that can live a perfect life except for Jesus. He is that wall. If we could be as perfect as Jesus, there would have been no reason for him to die on the cross. We could save ourselves. We wouldn't have needed him. The whole point is that we can't. A tennis player can never beat a wall. A wall is relentless. It keeps setting the ball back because it's perfect. We're not. We're not perfect. No matter how hard we try to be, we can't be as perfect as Christ. But we are to steadfastly set our faces upon Jesus and become more like him daily. We are to try to strive to be more like Jesus daily. I heard uh, this... um, uh, I, I wish I, I had written it down because I don't even remember the exact quote or who said it. But it, it was along the lines of when you first become a Christian, uh, God shows you the boulders in your life. And, and as you move on in life, God starts to show you the sand. Meaning that the, the big sins in your life, the, the, the infidelity and the lying and the cheating, all those big things, God shows you them because they're obvious to you. And then as you grow in Christ, he starts showing you the sand. He starts showing you the, the smaller things. He, he said, you know, I should have thought that. I, I, I should have apologized to this person. I should have prayed for that person. I, I should have given this person some money when, when they need it. And um, as we grow to be more Christ-like every day, as we strive to do that, God will continue to show us areas of our life that we need to make changes, areas of our lives that we need to mold into uh, be more like Christ. So as he's walking along with this group of people, uh, he's asked a question. Somebody from the crowd asked, and it's a good question, because at this point, Jesus is going town to town, he's teaching everybody, but <laughs> Jesus was a... Um, uh, 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 doom and gloom. Uh, he, he, he wasn't a sugarcoating preacher. He told you the way it was going to be. He didn't sugarcoat anything for these people. And as he's doing that, people are starting to fall away, right? Because it, people are wanting to follow. Hey, Jesus, what do we got to do to follow you? And he said, are you sure you want to follow me? He said, because boxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Are you sure that you want to follow me? You want to hang out with me because it's not easy being like me, being Christ-like. It's hard. No, Christ, I, I want to follow you. I, I want to follow you. Well, great. Go sell off everything you own, give it to the poor, and then come on. Well, I can't do that. I mean, you know, w- 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 my TV, I just got it. Right? The, game, the Super Bowl is in three weeks. I can't give that up now. Well, but that was the point. People started following away. They felt like, I can't follow this guy. It's too hard. It's too hard to be like him. If anyone that claims to be a Christian tells you, oh, once you're saved, everything's going to be great. 
It's, it, it's going to be that field of flowers and puppy dog tails, and, and it's just going to be wonderful. That person's trying to sell you something. Because any true Christian will tell you that oftentimes it gets harder. You're going to lose things in life. You, you, you're going to lose things that you have, maybe that, you, that have been your identity for years. You're going to lose people in your life. You're going to lose uh, out on opportunities for jobs. You're going to lose out on a lot of things that are going to be difficult in your life. But when you think about, this is a very short period of, uh, of time, and, and the eternity that your soul is going to live in, it becomes worth it. The, the, the key is to be able to look past what, what, what we have going on here and look towards Christ, look towards heaven. So people started to fall, fall away. In fact, there's a, um, a, a, a verse in John where it, it, it's, it's, it's a parallel time between what's happening here and, and in John. And I, I think it's a coincidence. I don't know if you believe in coincidence or not. But it's John 6, 66, that the verse actually says, As a result of this, many of his disciples left and would no longer walk with him. John 6, 66 tells us that people turn from Christ. And when you turn from Christ, who are you turning towards? Satan. It's only one or the other. You're either following God or you're following the world. You're either looking towards heaven or you're rolling towards hell. Right? There's only two ways. So as a result of this, many disciples left. It would no longer walk with him. So this guy wants to know, he says, is it only a few that are getting into heaven? Because the numbers are dwindling, Jesus. We're, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty here. We're getting down to very few people that are still following you. How many people actually get into heaven? Are you going to keep trying to run people off until it's just a few of us? Who gets in? Is it only the best of the best? Is it only the people that show up, you know, 50 out of 52 Sundays? Is it only the people that give this much amount in the offering plate? Is it only the people that, that read through the Bible four times in their lifetime? Is, is, it, is it only the people that, that, that pray every day? Is it, who gets in? Or is this the type of thing where on Judgment Day, we're all going to stand before you and you're going to say, well, you know, I, 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 I gave you the hardest possible scenario just to try and push you. But everybody's getting in. Come on. Right? What's it going to be? How many people, he wants to know, are actually going to be in heaven? Or maybe he thought there was like a, 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 a number. Maybe he thought it was 144,000 people, and then that was the cutoff. And that way he could kind of look at people, well, I got him beat. Right? Well, I haven't seen that person in church in weeks, so they're not going to get in. Well, I, I know him, but I've heard stories about this. Well, he's a holy roller. He's one of those people that he, I'm not, I can't beat him. Can't be that guy. Maybe he's trying to calculate what are his odds of getting into heaven if there's a certain number. He wants to know. Well, Jesus answers his question and in a way that I, I think we can take away three big points um, of salvation. Three big points of salvation. And the first one is in the first word of Jesus' response. And the word is strive. Uh, the Greek word is agonizomai. Right? And, and it, it 
it's where we get our word agonize, right? And it comes with this idea uh, that we should labor, that, that, that we should be intense, and that we should work hard. Um, and you may be saying, well, Brother Ben, you keep saying that Christianity is not a works-based religion. Is Jesus now saying, well, you got to work for salvation? No, a- absolutely not. He's saying that if you are a believer in Christ, that you should want to work for him, that you should want to work toward him. Your work should follow you because the Holy Spirit is leading you. I came up with that. So if I see that on a t-shirt, I'm going to know it was one of the four of you that, <laughs> that sold it. Your works should follow you because the Holy Spirit is leading you. Meaning that people should be able to look in your past and see the changes that have happened in your life and see all the steps that you've taken to be more Christ-like. He's speaking against lazy Christians. Those Christians that get their fire insurance and they feel like they can live any way they want to. He's saying strive for heaven. Another translation would be to make every effort. You're not going to get to Jesus. You can't be perfect like Jesus is. But he's saying, strive. Make every effort. Work hard. Try to do it. Is that you? Are you making every effort to be more like Christ? Or are you content? Content with just your fire insurance? You don't have to work for salvation, but you should want to put in effort to live like Christ. He's saying, don't be a lazy Christian. Second thing he says is, there's a narrow gate, right? He says, strive to enter through the narrow gate or the narrow door. Matthew um, elaborates a little more in, in his version in Chapter 7 of Matthew, verse 13, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Jesus is telling us, you need to go through the narrow gate. You need to stay on the narrow road, because the broad is the road that leads to destruction. There was a, uh, you, y'all probably never saw it, but there was a, a, a TV show in the 90s called Seinfeld. It's this little, little show. And they had a, a series, or they, they had an episode that I remember when I, when I, was, when I was studying. I, I, I thought, boy, did they write this for this? Uh, anyway, uh, on this episode, Kramer, he he's plays uh, Seinfeld's Crazy Next Door Neighbor, he adopts a highway, and because he's not a very bright man, he thinks that he owns that part of the highway, that he's responsible for that highway, and he wants that part of the highway to be popular because he adopted it. So what he decides to do is uh, he gets this big drum of uh, paint thinner. It's a four-lane highway. So he goes out there at night, and, 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 he, and he scrubs off the, the middle lanes so that he turns a four-lane highway into a two-lane highway because he wants it to be a place that, that's easy to drive through, 
right? And, and his friend Elaine comes through at night, and she's driving, and she's like, oh, this, I actually remember her words. She said, this is luxurious. I, I, I can just drive all, look how wide my lane is. It's, it's like the first class section of an airplane, right? You just real nice and wide. And it leaves the, the viewer thinking, oh, that would be nice to have that kind of freedom, you know, just to, to drive wherever I want in my own lane. And then his friend, his name is Newman, and he is a, uh, a postal worker. He drives this uh, postal truck. And he comes to that section, and he's, he's recognizing the same thing. It's beautiful. It's nice, wide. I can, I can swerve all over the road, and I still stay in my, my big, comfy lane. But he hits something, and it causes uh, a piece of metal to start dragging off of his, fire, off of his uh, uh, mail truck, fire truck, mail truck, uh, and it creates sparks. Well, the sparks hit the paint thinner and turn his mail truck into an inferno, right? It, 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 the episode ends with him sitting in the cab of his truck driving while there's fire just shooting out from behind him. And it made me think that, uh, that, that is exactly what Jesus is talking about here. The wide road seems like a good thing. Right? Oh, this is nice. I, I, I can believe what I want. I can do what I want. I can live the way I want because I have all this room to do whatever I want to do. But what happens is we end up getting burned in the end. Traveling down a broad road may feel good. It may seem luxurious. You may enjoy the freedom that comes along with that. But Jesus says we aren't to do it. Think of the narrow road as being narrow-minded. I, I know that that's, um, <laughs> that is not a phrase we're to use in our society these days. But we are to be narrow-minded. Uh, narrow-minded, it, it just means... Uh, it just means that we block out the world, right? We, 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 we resist the temptation that is all around us. Um, Someone that's open-minded, um, at least through the, the, the lens of Christians, okay? Uh, they believe you can live any way that you want, and it's going to be okay. Christians are to be narrow-minded, meaning that we believe that what the Bible tells us is the authority of what's right and what's wrong, right? It, it's black and white. Today's society wants too much gray in their lives. They, they, they want to say, well, that's okay, and this is okay, and you can live that way as long as you want, and, and God will forgive you, and, and, and I, you're not hurting me, so I'm not going to, uh, you know, who am I to judge? Uh, but that's a problem. When we aren't narrow-minded, when we don't have the blinders on, and we don't look at God's Word and say, this is the truth, this is what I need to follow, and we started saying, well, everything else is okay. Well, that's, that's Kramer's wide road in the highway. People just driving along, and all of a sudden, there's going to be some fire. There's going to be some hard times in your life um, when it comes to Judgment Day. Just as a side note, uh, did you notice how Jesus phrases what he said? He says, the, or the, narrow gate. 
Next verse 25. Uh, when once the master of the house has risen up and shut what? The door. There's only one way into heaven, and that's through the sun, right? And the only way to get to the sun is by following that narrow path. The third thing that we see is that we need to have a relationship with God. Verse 25, uh, Jesus says, When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you where you're from. Jump down to 27. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. You're going to knock but I'm going to tell you that I never knew you, is what Jesus is telling them. You're, you're, you're going to come to the door thinking you belong here, and I'm going to tell you, I just, I never knew you. He's not talking to atheists here. He's not talking about the people that reject him and, and, and deny him. He's not saying that those people are going to be knocking on the door and saying, hey, I'm sorry, uh, can I come in now? That's not who he's referring to. He's talking to people that think they belong in heaven. He's talking to people that are keeping all the laws and, and, and doing all the things that they think they're supposed to do, and they belong in heaven. But what he's telling them is that you're going to show up at the door thinking, oh, there must be some mistake. Remember what he said? He said, the master has closed the door. Right? When Jesus comes back, the door is going to be closed, and it's going to be over. That, that, that's, that's the cutoff time. Right? Everybody, we talk about, well, I got all this time in the world. You don't know when that day is going to be. You don't know when that moment is going to be. But he's talking to these um, Pharisees. We're following them around. He's talking to these religious leaders that are uh, with them. And he's telling them, you think you belong with me. And on day of judgment, when the doors of heaven are closed, you're going to be standing outside knocking, saying, well, there must be a mistake. God, God, I'm going to knock. God will come down here and he'll sort the whole thing out. Because I belong in there. And what does he say? He's going to say, I never knew you. I never knew you. That, that, that's got to be the, the worst uh, sentence you could ever hear from your Savior is, I never knew you. Look at verse uh, 26. It says, uh, then, you will, then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. We ate with you. We, 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 we broke bread with you. We followed you around. We heard you preaching. Right? We told some other people, oh, you got to go come here. This guy, he's good. That's today's equivalent of uh, we took communion with you. We read our Bibles. We, you know, we, we went to church. We, we told some people that we were Christians. But there was never a change in the heart. There was never a true relationship. The only way to have a relationship with God is to have the to invite him in. You can go to church every Sunday of your life. You can read through the Bible, I don't care how many times in your lifetime. You, you can spend hours a day on your knees in prayer. If you never had a genuine conversion, 
If you've never actually invited him in and started a relationship with him, you're going to get to that door and he's going to say, I'm sorry, I didn't know you. Depart from me. There has to be a true relationship with him. Look how he says the people will react. He says there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's saying people are going to be angry. He's not saying that, oh, you know what, on that day, you're going to have people that are repenting. When I say you're not getting in, I never knew you. He's not saying you're going to repent at that moment. He's not, he's not saying you're going to drop down on your knees and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I, 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 I didn't know, I, I, I should have done better, I, I should have turned from my sins, I, I shouldn't have made it about religion, I shouldn't have just made it about traditions, I should have made it about you. He's saying, none of you are going to do that. He said, you're just going to get mad. You're going to get mad about it. You're going to be gnashing your teeth. These people thought they were doing right, thought they were doing the right thing for years. Look at verse 30. It says, and indeed, there are last who will be first, and there are first who will be last. There, there are, I'm uh, putting in quotations, that religious people that look down on others thinking, um, I'm above them. Like the hierarchy in heaven, I am going to be sitting at the right hand of Christ, and that guy, he'll be lucky to get in. Looking down at people. But what Jesus is saying is, because you're putting so much stock, so much faith in your traditions, so much stock and so much faith in the things that you are doing, you're going to realize that the least of these, the ones that you're looking down upon, they had that true conversion. They truly loved me. They truly came to me in need. They truly tried to keep my word. They truly tried to be more like me every day. And you look at them as beneath you. Well, in heaven, they're going to be above you. They're going to be above you. If you get in at all. We need to stop making Christianity about religion and start making it about a relationship. We need to start making it about being more Christ-like. So, in closing, make every effort to live more Christ-like every day. Even if it's the small things. Blessing your food. How many times do you, how many times do you say, I'm, I'm so hungry. I'm the only one sitting here at the table. Right, I got food in front of me. Let, let me just start eating. Right? Or do you take 10 seconds and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this food. Thank, thank you for supplying it for me. Thank you for giving me the, you know, the money. Thank you for giving me the ability and the, and, the, and the finances to be able to afford this food. I just pray that you will bless it and that you allow it to nourish my body so that I can go on sharing your gospel, whatever it is, just say thank you. Thank you for what I'm about to eat. Or do we just plow in? Those are little things. Those are the pieces of sand that he shows us along the way of our walk with him. And it's okay not to be there yet. He may still be showing you boulders. He may still be showing you, uh, you know, rocks. 
But eventually, as you keep moving your way towards him, he's going to show you um, every day. I mean, we, we, we can't live a perfect day. So we're always going to have those, those moments in our lives where we could be better. We could do things more like he would. And that's what he's telling us to do. Understand that the path is narrow. Not only narrow, but singular. There's not a lot of off-ramps. There's just, I mean, you can take an off-ramp, but you're not going to get to where you want to be. You're not going to get to the narrow gate. And then finally, and, and I think the most important thing is it, it's, it's all about a relationship. Do you love him? Does he know you? Recognize it's not about religion. It, it, it's about knowing him and, 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 and looking to him and, and him being an influence in your life and allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you throughout your life uh, so that you can come to know him better. I mean, that, that's what it's all about is that relationship. Because without that relationship, it's just jumping through hoops. And uh, jumping through hoops is going to get you uh, standing outside knocking. <laughs> Not a place you want to be. Well, let's pray. Lord, we, we are so grateful for this evening. We're today and in, in, in the time that we were able to spend together. Uh, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for what you did. Sending your son to die on the cross and, and, and for him to be rejected by so many and going to, to do something that was so selfless to allow us to live. Lord, we, we love you and we love him and, and Jesus and what, what Jesus did for us on the cross because he didn't have to. Lord, we just ask that you to be with us. Help us point others to you. Allow us to, to grow in you and to be more Christ-like. We, we ask that you would fill our, fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit and allow us to just give it over to the Holy Spirit. Allow them Give us the, the, the power to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us through our lives. Lord, we love you. We ask you to be